The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is green and gold history. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is A's Baseball. This is green and gold history. Time for a little green and gold history. And today we're doing top 10 what? So we're just looking back at the 70s World Series and championship teams and just some of the observations from listening to your shows, watching the World Series on television that uh, NBC Sports California's been running, and just some of the things that went on there that have really just stood out as kind of going back in the Wayback Machine. So for you, how old were you during that time? So I was five, six, and seven. Uh, so I didn't really remember much of 72. I remember a lot of 73 and all of 74. And I even went to a playoff game in 74. I went to game two where Ken Holtzman shut out the Orioles in the ALCS. Uh, Ray Fossey with a big three-run homer in that game. Um, my dad went to all the postseason games uh, during the 70s. So I, I have a recollection of 74, 72, 73. I've watched the official World Series highlight films numerous times. So I thought I had known a lot about what was going on. But doing some research and watching these telecasts, uh, we've learned a lot more about what those teams were like, and I think it's really interesting. Yeah, for me, it's – it's. I mean, I read about it. I was born in 1972, so obviously uh, being a, you know, 74, I'm three years old. So, you know, I mean <laughs> – I didn't see, so I didn't see any of this. Uh, you know, my first recollection, really, of baseball, kind of the 78 World Series, but really the one I really remember is 79, the Orioles and the Pirates. And then I always tell the story, like, you know, the Eagles and the Raiders in, in 1980, that was my first Super yeah. Bowl party. So it's kind of like late 70s that I can recall Early mid seventies, no doubt. I mean, I've seen the highlights. You know, like the big red machine. I mean, I, I was too young. There's no way you remember that. So, do you have an honorable mention for us? Yeah. So some of the things that just kind of stood out uh, early for me that didn't make the list. But how about during the seventy two and seventy three World Series when they're introducing the teams, they the manager would run out and you'd go to third base instead of home plate, and they would they would line up from third down to home thought that was very odd. And they had switched in 74. They started going to home plate. I don't know why they would go to third base. That seems very odd to me, right? Yeah, well, yeah, Yogi Berra in 73 and Dick Williams. Yogi Berra went to first base. Dick Williams went to third base. And then they announce all the guys, and then the people who aren't playing, they're the ones closest to home plate. Yeah, really odd, really odd. Another thing I've noticed from games in the 70s, too, and a little bit in the early 80s, uh, you know, now when the pitcher gets the last out, the catcher goes out to the mound, shakes his hands, and they wait for all the teammates, and they do the high-five line, right? Well, you watch games in the 70s and the early 80s. The last out, the pitcher's running off the mound. Catcher doesn't greet him until he gets to the baseline, and then everybody runs right off the field. There's no hanging around congratulating. They're just gone. Uh, and really, I, I probably mid-80s is when you started seeing the catcher meet the pitcher out on the mound. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's a good observation. It's like that's like the, the thing that I I had to ask Ray Fossey. I'm like, you guys all have closed stances. Why is that? Who taught you that? 
Yeah, that's interesting too, right? Um, and you brought this up, the merchandise in the stands. You didn't see a lot of people wearing baseball gear. Um, you saw it a little bit more in Oakland because Charlie Finley was early on to merchandising and selling hats and replica plastic batting helmets. Those were really popular. Um, but, you know, you look at the games in Cincinnati and in New York, there's nobody wearing Mets and Reds paraphernalia. Uh, it just wasn't done then. Even the Reds in 72, you looked in the crowd, you still had the guys in the, the sh- shirt sleeves and the tie, right? That old IBM look. Uh, it kind of, as you see, the decade goes on, it starts to change a little bit, and the A's were at the forefront. The other thing I thought was really interesting, uh, on mound meetings, no one's covering their mouth, right? Nobody's sticking the glove in front of their mouth. Uh, and you can actually read lips. It was really interesting. In one of the games, we go to Ken Holtzman. You can see Holtzman clear as day. He's like, fastball. I'm throwing fastball. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you know, now we're, we're so paranoid about every little thing and everybody's watching us. It's like may, may, maybe baseball will want to actually wear masks. Can you imagine that? <laughs> now you don't have to put the glove in front of you. True. There'll be no lip reading because you'll be covering it with a protective mask. Yeah, it's hilarious. All right, let's get into your top 10. Number 10. So this one got to me early in it, it, watching the game for the 72 World Series. Lefty Grove throwing out the first pitch. And it got me thinking. So 1972, right? Lefty Grove pitched the age of the World Series in 1931 the last time. So that's 41 years. But the difference between 1931 and 1972 it's such a huge difference, right? Because you think now we're watching these games, which are just a little less than 50 years old, but it doesn't seem that long ago. There's, it still looks the same. But to me, thinking about Lefty Grove pitching for the A's and Lefty Grove being in Oakland, that just amazed me. Because he was just this, this one tie to this organization that didn't feel like the A's had any ties to Philadelphia, especially in the early 70s. And this was two cities removed from Philadelphia. It just there seemed no connection. Uh, for 40 years. And you think back now to the A's, you go back 40 years, well, Ricky Henderson was on that team. Ricky's still part of the organization. Mickey Morbido worked for the A's. He still works for the A's. Steve Lucinich, there's still connections. There was no connection to Philadelphia. And I think Lefty Grove, greatest pitcher of the Philadelphia A's era, 195 wins with the A's, second all-time in franchise history, a 7-12 winning percentage, the greatest all-time for the A's. And you think back to his 31 season, he went 31 and four with a 2.06 ERA. It was just this connection to the past that just really grabbed me. And I thought, wow, Lefty Grove was in Oakland. 300 wins, two time World Series champion, AL MVP in 1931, six time All Star, two times won the Triple Crown, four times led the league in wins, nine times led the league in ERA. This guy, and it was a seven-time strikeout leader, Lefty Grove, and, and he would die in uh, 1975. So it wasn't long after that he would pass away. Wow, what a career. Yeah, I just one of the greatest pitchers of the first half of the century, no doubt, and this big part of his history. And just know that he was in Oakland. I, I mean, Charlie Finley did some cool things, and he was always, you know, he was aware of baseball history. He didn't always, you know, embrace the Philadelphia years. But for that one thing I thought was, was unbelievable. Number nine. So this doesn't get talked about enough. I think with those A's teams, but that was the injuries that they had to deal with in 72 and 73. 
Um, you know, before the 72 World Series, or actually before the 72 postseason, Daryl Knowles, a huge part of the A's bullpen, breaks his thumb after falling down, after putting the ball in play as a batter. And he had a 1.37 ERA in 72. He had 11 saves. This is a big part of the bullpen. He's gone for the entire postseason. And then the A's lose Reggie Jackson in game five of the LCS of Detroit, where he tears his hamstring stealing home. So they go into this their first ever World Series with a couple big missing pieces. So you think down the stretch in 72, the A's outfield with Joe Rudy in left, Reggie in center, and then Matty Lou in right. Uh, and Matty Lou played and he actually hit a little bit uh, for the A's coming down the stretch. But now you get to the World Series and they have to go to George Hendrick in center field. A young George Hendrick, now he would go on to be a, you know, a four-time All-Star with the Indians and Cardinals and be a real uh, legitimate big leaguer. But at this point, this is young George Hendrick on the biggest stage. And he obviously struggled. He went two for 15. Uh, and Matty Lou, he's in right field. He went one for 24 in that World Series. So they got nothing out of two-thirds of their outfield. Um, Hendrick, obviously, he, he ends up getting traded with Dave Duncan for Ray Fossey, so still a big part of A's history. So they do that in 72. And then in 73, Bill North, again, their starting center fielder, their leadoff man since mid-August in 73, injured. He's out, and they just have to make do. You know, in the, in the LCS, they're able to use Angel Banguel, Billy Canigliero, Vic Davalillo. They all started in center field trying to replace Joe Rudy. And finally, they get to the World Series, and Charlie Finley and Dick Williams, they say, screw this, we're moving Reggie to center. And Reggie played only one game in center field the entire season. And now he's going to be a starting center fielder in the World Series. And they were just going to platoon with Alou and Davalillo. Alou would play right against the lefties and Davalillo against the, against the righties. So Davalillo only started two games against Tom Siebert. But those two guys combined for four for 30. So again, the outfield takes a huge hit not being able to play. I just think it's uh, – I don't think it's talked about that they had to overcome huge injuries in both 72 and 73 to win the World Series. Yeah, you know, looking at these games in the 70s, I, I've made this observation, you know, because I was watching the 78 World Series when Garvey hit a triple, and you think of Reggie Jackson. They both were football players. Right. Like, like, like Steve Garvey played cornerback at Michigan State in the Big Ten. Reggie was a running back. I mean – see the thing is when we talked about my age and when I started watching baseball, you know, those guys were, those guys were older when I started watching baseball. So I didn't get to see them in their prime as great athletes who could run. And that, I think this is really kind of educating us. All right. Number eight. So this can't be Campanaris's postseason in 73. Cause he did something that has rarely been done. And this is in the ALCS against Baltimore in game two. At Baltimore, he leads off the game with a home run. In game three at Oakland, he ends the game with a walk-off home run in the 11th inning. So you're talking a leadoff homer and a walk-off homer in the same postseason series. It has only been done one other time, and that was Lenny Dykstra in 1986. And in fact, if you look at guys who've all had in their career a leadoff homer and a walk-off homer in the postseason in their career – there's only Campy, Lenny Dykstra, Derek Jeter, and David Freeze. That's it. Four guys have done what Campy's done. And the thing that I – this is unbelievable. Cause so Campy hits a walk-off homer in the playoffs, right, game three. There is no video of this. I, I got in contact with MLB. I got in contact with the A's. I'm like, 
I've never seen this. This would be this would be something I want to see. How can you have a walk off homer and no one has video of it? And the only time I've ever seen it was when the A's World Series game against the uh, the Mets was replayed. They game one of the '73 World Series during Joe Garagiola's pregame show. They actually showed that home run. Only time I've ever seen it. It's probably the only place that ever exists. The Campion '73, unbelievable. You know who's got good Lenny Dykstra stories? Tell me. Billy Bean. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy Bean's got some, I mean, like, Lenny's doing some crazy stuff. And you know what? They knew he was nuts back then. (laughs) It's it's unbelievable. All right, number seven. So this is just roster configuration for these teams. Uh, And the A's were special because uh, they didn't need a lot of pitchers. In 72 on their roster, they had eight pitchers and 17 position players. Again, no DH during the World Series. So that's a nine-man bench. Nine. And the A's, for most of last season, had three men on their bench. We're talking a nine-man bench, eight pitchers. 73, they do the same thing. And then in 74, they actually go with nine pitchers and 16 position players. They use nine pitchers. In the entire season, the entire 1974 season, they used 11 pitchers total, and nine of those 11 combined for all the 10 and a third innings. And in the postseason, the entire postseason nine games, the A's used five pitchers. Five. Holtzman, Hunter, Blue, Blue Moon Odom, and Fingers. For the entire postseason, it's unheard. I mean, you can't get through a postseason game now without using five pitchers. Nice. It's, it's unreal. And then having that bench, and we'll talk about it a little later, about what that meant by having all these weapons to use. But roster configuration so different, so different than what we have today. We've been trying to make the case, since we're watching it and looking at the numbers, if you take the, if you take the names away from the numbers, so you take Mariano Rivera's name, Trevor Hoffman's name, you take their names off and Raleigh Fingers' name, and you just look at everybody's numbers, you truly can make a case that Raleigh Fingers is the greatest reliever of all time. For sure, uh, for sure, and a lot of it is is due to the quantity of innings that he pitched, right? And and we saw on the re-air last night of Game One of '74, who he was coming in in the fifth inning, pitching to the ninth inning, and just that does not happen. And so he was more than your one inning closer. And then when he did pitch, he's just lights out, just lights out. And you know who's not far behind him? Also a former A. When you look at his numbers because of the volume he gave you, was Goose Gossage. Yeah, Gossage pitched a lot of innings, too, especially in those, like you said, those late 70s teams with the Yankees. He was a two- to three-inning guy most nights, and they, they tried to shorten their game. And they had Ron Davis for a little bit in the, late, in the early 80s, and they tried to use that combo of Davis and Gossage in the 80s and 81, got hammered by those two guys because they were so good. Uh, different different time, but, but Raleigh, uh, again, this weapon that, Dick Williams had and knowing he can go to him at any time. And, and even in that, like in game one of 74, he sees Raleigh start to get tired and he goes to Catfish Hunter on two days rest to get the last out. And just, uh, it's amazing what they did with, with five pitchers for the entire postseason. Number six. So this was a little personal one for me, but when you're a kid going to A's games, a big thing was always what color uniform are they going to wear? Right? Because they had their green and their gold, which they would alternate. And then they had their wedding gown white, which they would only wear on home Sunday. 
So if you knew you went to a game on Sunday at home, you're going to see him in white. That was, that was a big thing, or at least for me as a kid. That's what I remember being a big thing. Uh, but if you go back and look at Game 7 in the 1973 World Series, which was played on a Sunday, they're not wearing white. And so I've always wondered, what the heck? And a lot of it had to do with superstition because they wore white in Game 2 of the 73 World Series, and they lost in that horrible extra inning game, the whole Mike Andrews affair. Uh, and Charlie just thought it was bad luck to wear white again. So he doesn't wear white. They wear the colors and they win. The other thing that's interesting, in the game that Campy hit the walk-off home run against the Orioles in the playoffs, it was a Tuesday. And they wore white on a Tuesday, which they never did. Never did. This might just be for me because I was, I was really into the uniform colors back then as a little kid. But I was just blown away that they wore white on a Tuesday. I had never heard of that. I can't believe that it happened. How about Dick Williams and his staff wearing white hats while the players wore green hats? Yeah, that was, that was another Charlie Finley thing. But he always wanted the coaches to, to be different. Right? They have the white hats. And that went all the way until 1980, until Billy Martin got tired. And Billy Martin actually wore the white hat in the spring training. And once the season started, he was going to have none of it. And he went back to the coaches wearing the regular green hat. But yeah, the white coach's hat, that was such an A's thing. Yeah, I was like, when I was watching the, the, the 72 World Series, that was one of the first things I noticed. I'm like, why does Dick Williams have a different hat on? That's just strange. <laughs> That's how it works. All right, number five. Uh, this is Ken Holtzman hitting. Uh, just, you know, he was a terrific pitcher. Started all the game ones in that World Series. As you said, he always started game one, just the way the rotation went. And seven World Series starts, he was four and one. But you got to just think about him. As a hitter, 1973, two for three with two doubles. Remember, they, that's when the first year of the DH was 73. So he didn't hit. He had one at bat the entire season. At 74, he has no at bat during the season. He goes two for four and a double and a home run. Just getting this production out of Ken Holtzman. But here's the thing to keep your eye on, and you'll see it. I think uh, NBC Sports is replaying game four. Uh, Ken Holtzman hit the home run in game four of the World Series. And check out his helmet. This is a right-handed hitter, and he's wearing a helmet that has the ear flap on the right ear. What's it protecting? That's probably not his helmet. It's definitely not his helmet, and he picked one with the wrong ear flap, and I've always watched the video. I've seen him run around, and I'm like, what is wrong with this picture? Why? Oh, that's why. Oh, my God. Ken Holtzman did a home run with with the wrong side helmet on. Oh, my God. These teams are just so fascinating. They're so dysfunctional. They're so great. They're an angry bunch. They hate the <laughs> owner. I mean, it's just, it's all. Can you imagine if they had Twitter back then? Or oh, Instagram? my God. You think about it. I mean, you know, the A's didn't go clubhouse brawl on the workout before game one of the 74 World Series. And now if that would happen, the whole open of the TV show would be nothing but the A's brawl, and we'd be talking to everybody, and you have the Twitter clips and everything else. And during this broadcast, it's barely even mentioned. Yeah, Raleigh has stitches and still goes four and a third. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, stitches. It's fine. Yeah. All good. right. <laughs> it's crazy. Number four. So this one's fun. We kind of mentioned Lefty Grove throwing out the first pitch, but I decided to go back and see who threw out the first pitches during the World Series in the 70s. Uh, in 72 World Series Game 3, it was Governor Ronald Reagan throwing out the first pitch. Oh. Uh, left, 
Lefty Grove in game four, fifth dimension, singing the national anthem. Uh, game five, I think they just didn't have anybody. So Joe Cronin, the AL president, threw it out, and uh, the Oakland Symphony did the anthem. But 73, now we're getting busy. Game one, Hank Aaron, first ever active player to throw out a first pitch, and Domer Pyle himself, Jim Neighbors, singing I, the national anthem. I could not believe that. When they went Jim Neighbors, I went, Jim Neighbors, Gomer Pyle sings? I didn't even know that. Yeah, he has beautiful voice. Big, deep tenor. Oh, yeah. Oh, he was, a, he was a star. Game two, Bob Hope throws out the first pitch. <laughs> and doing the national anthem, Tennessee Ernie Ford. Wow. Uh, game six, Jack Benny throws out the first pitch. And he, uh, I remember he did a little thing where he like faked like he wasn't going to throw the ball. He was going to keep the ball. Comedian. Uh, and then game seven of the 73 World Series, Clint Eastwood, Dirty Harry himself, throws out the first pitch. Oh, that's awesome. Now, and this, this, this is the thing that I love. National Anthem that day is sung by Lou Rawls, who earlier in the day sang the National Anthem at the 49ers game and then took a helicopter from Candlestick to the Coliseum to sing the anthem at the baseball game. That's a busy day right there. That's, that, that's a gamer. Two <laughs> anthems, two different parks, two different sports. Love that. That's uh, called, and then quickly, go ahead. That's called two paychecks. <laughs> two paychecks. Uh, 74, game three, we had Carl Malden from Streets of San Francisco, Charlie Pride with the anthem. Game uh, that was game three. Game four, we had Connie Mack Jr. throw out the first pitch. Another salute to the Philadelphia years. Anita Bryant with the national anthem. And then game five, Rock Hudson Ooh. threw out the first pitch. Yeah, he was a big deal. Who, who did, did they do a national anthem? They did. It was a singer actor named Gordon McRae, who I actually had to look up to. I'd never heard of him before. Uh, but I like the Rock Hudson. I that was pretty good. Now that's a, that, that's a, the seventies are so great. Reliving this has been so much fun. All right. Number three. Uh, this is Dick Green's defense. I mean, watching these games and seeing what he's doing around second base on real, especially on double plays where guys are coming in for blood. I mean, how McCray took him into short left field in the 72 world series, just knocked the crap out of him and any play around second. Dick Green was just getting beat up. And this is a guy who had back issues. You know, he threatened to retire multiple times. Um, and, you know, he was pinch hit for constantly in 72. And, and especially in game one of the league championship series versus the Tigers, he was pinch hit for before his first bat. He didn't get a bat. But in 72, in the World Series, he's playing most of the game. And he goes six for 18. Uh, 73, again, great defense. He only goes one for 16, but he's winning games with his glove. And 74, he might have been the MVP of that series if he had gotten at least one hit. And he went 0 for 13. But you watch his defense. He is stealing outs left and right, uh, turning double plays, starting double plays, relay throw to get Bill Buckner at third. Uh, every play that could be made, Dick Green made. Uh, his defense and watching it in real time during these games, it's just it's phenomenal. Yeah, we uh, recently had him on the program, and 74 would be his last year, and he won the Babe Ruth Award, but he laughed that he didn't get the car. Raleigh Fingers got the uh, 
series MVP, so he didn't get the car. Raleigh did. But, yeah, Dick Green just had his birthday. He's 79 years old. It was great having him on. All right, number two. So number two, is, and it goes kind of back to the roster construction, it's the use of pinch hitters and pinch runners. Uh, I just think what Dick Williams and even Alvin Dark did, using their bench to their advantage. Uh, you know, in the 72 World Series, pinch hitters went six for 11. They had three pinch hits in game four of the World Series in one inning, the ninth inning, and the comeback. And that inning, they had three pinch hitter, two pinch runners. And just using the bench. In 73 World Series, a friend of yours, Darren Johnson, who, again, DH during the season, had to relegate to the bench, but he comes up and he went two for three as a pinch hitter with a double against the Mets. And 74, the same thing, pinch hitters again. Three for six, Jim Holt. Two for three, big two-run single in game five. Um, you know, again, just using these weapons and then pinch running, Alan Lewis, who was the Panamanian Express. He was Herb Washington before Herb Washington. He still holds the record for most World Series games appeared in by a position player without an at-bat. Nine pinch running experiences over 72 and 73. And then, of course, Herb Washington. Uh, but again, just the use of the bench and having these weapons and Dick Williams and Alvin Dark putting them all together to make winning baseball. I think it's just it's just a better game when you have these weapons that you can use. You want a little Darren Johnson note? Oh, yeah. So the Hall of Champions, which is basically the San Diego Hall of Fame, was supported by the Chargers. And when the Chargers left, it fell apart. Uh, and it had other financial issues. And so they had these beautiful oil paintings of everybody who was in the San Diego Hall of Fame. And my grandfather was one of them. So my brother goes to, to get my grandfather's picture. And my brother ends up buying a bunch of these oil paintings of Hall of Famers in the San Diego Chicken Pie Shop right now, our family restaurant. When you're allowed to go back into restaurants, we have the oil painting of Darren Johnson's hall, basically like his Hall of Fame plaque. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so we're honoring a great athletic down at the San Diego Chicken Pie Shop. Yeah, and well-deserved. I mean, as a DH, he did he did exactly what the A's needed him to do. And then when he couldn't DH, come off the bat as a pinch hitter, that big bat came through. Number one. I think for me, and of course because it's my industry, it's just how the TV coverage evolved. Even from 72 to 74, the differences in how the technology started to advance. Uh, you know, showing the full pregame ceremonies. Uh, Joe Garagiola with this little 15-minute pregame show that he did on himself. Um, you know, in 72, you could see there was only so many cameras, and they started to add cameras in 73 and 74. Uh, the low home position at the Coliseum, that's, you know, the camera that was behind the plate, that was – so important to the director Harry Coyle because it brought the fans closer to the game. And the one thing about TV cameras back then, they didn't have these these long lenses that could get real tight and up close. And having that low home position really changed it because you could get a little closer and make you feel part of the game. Um, you know, hearing the voices of Kurt Gowdy and Tony Kubek, whether it's Monty Moore during the games in Oakland or Al Michaels in Cincinnati, Vin Scully in Dodger Stadium. I just think it was it was amazing to watch as technology advanced. You know, the game that they showed last night, they had a, they had the NBC helicopter, which was the precursor to the blimp. And these aerial, beautiful aerial shots they were getting from a wireless camera. And then they also had a handheld camera going around the stand. Um, just how they brought the game to you as a fan. Replays were still few 
right? You didn't have a lot of different angles. You saw more in 74. You start to see different angles from the same play, like Saldano getting thrown out of the plate. You're able to see three different angles or the ball, uh, the home run by Wynn in the ninth inning. You saw North and Rudy from three or four different angles trying to catch. You didn't really see that in 72 and 73. The technology is getting better. And the way replays were run there, they literally were run by hand on big two-inch tape machines. Right, like those old computer tapes you used to see in sci-fi movies. That was basically what they were rolling with your hand. You had to pre-roll it to get it up to speed. Um, just different ways to bring the game. But the announcers really had to carry it. Right, They're the ones who had to tell all the stories. And I, I just think for guys who didn't do a lot of baseball, you know, one game a week where we're Kurt Gowdy doing Tony Kubek, the information they brought, they had it all. And having the local announcers really helped them to bring – you know, fill in the gaps in these stories, and they just tremendous job. Yeah, like in nineteen seventy-two, if you got off work and you came home and you turned on the World Series, you would have no clue what's going on. You don't know what the score is. You don't know what inning you're in, and it and they don't flash it until the last out of the inning. So that 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 to me is just crazy that you, you turn on the television and you have no idea what's going on. No, and it was really up to the announcers to keep giving the count, keep giving the score, much more like a radio broadcast than a tv broadcast now you never have to to say that you never have to it's always on the screen so it really fell on them and they did come up with great stories i think you know kirk Gowdy tells the story of johnny bench going out on a date with charlie finley's daughter before game three of the 72 world series i'd never heard this before that, that's great info right they went to a warriors game they went to they sell the warriors defeat the bullets 97 96 uh it's just it was all it was all the announcers uh, much more they never went into the stands with cameras right when foul balls went into the stands they weren't following the ball you didn't see people raising the ball up and being happy uh, a little bit more in 74 but you didn't have those lenses that could go into the crowd so again the technology helped bring the game so much closer to us and more real a real experience visceral experience that we could all share all right let's go back over it your top 10 so these are my observations of the uh 70s postseason Lefty Grove throwing out the first pitch. Uh, A's overcoming key injuries in 72 and 73. Uh, Campy's unbelievable home runs in the 73 postseason, especially a leadoff homer and a walkoff homer in back-to-back games. Uh, roster configuration going with only eight pitchers and nine position players. Uh, just you don't see that today. Uh, not wearing white on a Sunday at home, game seven of the 73 World Series. I just – Still disappointed by that, but it worked out. They won the game. Uh, Ken Holtzman's hitting, especially hitting a home run with the helmet flap on the wrong ear. Uh, all the first pitch and anthem singers from the, uh, the early 70s, including Bob Hope, Jack Benny, and Rock Hudson. Uh, Dick Green's defense, just underrated. I think you have to see it, and you start to believe how good this guy was. Uh, number Two, which is the use of those bench, the use of the pinch hitters and pinch runners and how they came through consistently for the A's to help them win ball games. Uh, and number one observation is just the TV coverage and, and how it changed from 72 to 74, leaps and bounds from in a three-year period and just how they had to bring us to games. I just think it's amazing to watch. You still got all the information. It was just in a very different form. Great stuff. Green and gold history right here on A's Cast. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.